Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 18. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Ministry is not a nine-to-five job. Ministry is 24-7. It's not 9 to 5, it's 24-7. And I believe that when God is calling a man, watch this, he is calling his wife together. You know, when God was showing Elvira and I, um, me particularly at first, that we were to come to Raleigh, that we were going east, and that we were going to plant a church, you know my story. We were going, we were going to plant a church. And, 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 and God was going to do a work through us in this area. When God began to show me that, God began to reveal those things to me through vision and dreams. And it was like unbelievable. It was almost like a movie every night. It was weird. I was looking forward to going to sleep so I can catch back up on where I left off last night. It was weird, man. And so... You know, I'm like go, trying to go see, where was I in the movie? You know, you want to get that, that last scene. And, and God was really showing me and just through vision and dreams. And I'm waking up and I'm telling Elvira, hey, guess what God showed me last night? And she's like, what now? And, 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 and she was like, you know, and God hadn't really revealed that to her yet. So she said, well, she, later we, we find out, we talk, and you guys have maybe heard her say this, that she needed to begin to pray to seek the Lord to see if, in fact, God was really speaking those things and wanting to, to use us in this way because he hadn't at that point. And so, and, and she said, you know, she'll, she'll tell you. She said, she, you know, she knows how impetuous I am. And, and, you know, and I'll just do something because I just feel like this is God. You know what I mean? And you never know. But something like this is a big thing. I mean, leaving California to here and, yeah, that's a big thing. So, and she thought maybe this was one, another one of my ideas. <laughs> that was, it sounded like a lot of ladies laughing on that one, didn't it? Another one of my ideas. And so she began to pray, and as she began to pray, get this, God began to confirm in her that this is what he wanted for our lives. And check this out. Not only that, but one night, I went to sleep, she went to sleep, obviously. And, and we woke up, and she said, let me tell you what God showed me. And I said, let me tell you first what God showed me. The same night. Remember that? She's like, yes. <laughs> And it was, a, I mean, it was weird. I mean, God was beginning to do those things, but God began to confirm then in her what God wanted to do with us both. 
because it would have been no way possible for me to tell her God is calling me into ministry and she's saying, well, I'm not really seeing that. God knows that. Listen, God is not going to tear up your marriage to call you in the ministry. I'm going to say that again because y'all will sleep. God is not going to tear up your marriage to call you in the ministry. Amen. And it's true. And as a pastor, I have known men who thought they were called to full-time ministry. And they've come to me and said, you know, God's calling me to full-time ministry. My first question to them, as I've learned now over these years of being senior pastor of this church, I have learned my first question to them is not how well do you teach how are you anointed no that's not my first question now my first question is what does your wife say well don't ask her aha <laughs> uh -huh. what does your wife think because sometimes a wife doesn't feel that same calling which listen to me close doesn't mean that you are not called. It just means the timing isn't right. That's all. It doesn't mean you're not called. Don't give up on the call. Because if you know that you know that you know that you know that God is calling you, then you wait on God because he will reveal it to her. If, in fact, it is God calling you. You know, I've also seen in the ministry great godly men who were held back from being used by the Lord because their wives were not ready for the sacrifice. And they, they just weren't ready for it. I mean, they knew. I've seen they, women who knew their husbands were called, and, and they had that confirmation in the spirit. But they didn't want to give up the Beamer, the big house, the Nordstrom's, all of these things. They didn't want to give that up. They weren't ready for the sacrifice because in the ministry, contrary to popular opinion, in the ministry, there is much sacrificing. Amen. And you got to know that. And she wasn't willing, so she held him back. I've also seen wives who have held their husbands back because the wife wasn't spiritually mature enough in her own walk with the Lord, and she needed to grow. But either way, in either of those cases, you just simply need to wait and be patient. Because when it comes to being called into ministry, I believe the calling, the timing, the confirmation will be in your spouse. I think that's true. And not only that, but watch this. I don't, not only will the calling, the timing, the confirmation be in your spouse, but when God's really doing the work, it's your spouse who is then even pushing you forward because she knows God has revealed it to her. And women generally are a little bit more, as hard as it is for me to say this, <laughs> spiritually in tune than us fellas. Amen. Shake it off, man. Shake it off. Shake it off. It's the truth. I mean, it really is the truth. And, and, and I do remember times even before, you know, uh, you know, today was a walk down memory lane for me. But, but to, I remember times and even before I actually got visions and dreams from God that God <laughs> called me that Elvira and my mom 
would say, you know what, Rodney, you're you, you running from the call of God. It's interesting. They knew I was called before I knew I was called. I remember saying things like this. They'd say, oh, well, you, you know what? You're running from the call of God. God's got, a, God's got a call in your life, and you're running from the call of God. And I remember saying stuff like this. Yeah, well, when Jesus shows up at the foot of my bed in a bright light, and, and he grabs me by the toes and says, Rodney, you are called, then I'll go. I remember saying stuff like that, and, and that never happened. I mean, other stuff happened, but, but that didn't happen. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, your wife and, and women, they know things in the spirit oftentimes that, that, that we don't know. And ladies, look, let me just kind of plug this. It's the Lord who calls them. Be careful. Watch out. It's the Lord who calls, not you. Don't start whispering to them in the night. Honey, you're called. You're, you're a pastor. You know, don't, you know, don't do that. You know what I'm saying? It's the Lord who calls them. Well, look at verse 7. 18, saints, verse 7. You still with me? Say amen. amen. So Moses went out to meet her, his father-in-law. He bowed down, watch this, and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord delivered them. And then Jethro, underlined this, rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, underline this, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And then he went on to say, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Underline that. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. And then Jethro, in verse 12, Moses' father-in-law took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and he kissed him. And, and I, do gotta, I do find it interesting that, remember, Zipporah and the boys are standing right there. And there's no mention of Moses like, hey, honey. Which, I don't know, that's the white space, okay? And, but he didn't say any honey or nothing or nothing to the kids. He just, you know, fell down at his feet, at Jethro's feet. And he, he worshipped him, which was actually, or, or kissed him, pardon me, which was a, uh, a particular uh, common greeting in those days. And so, so Moses greets Jethro, kissed his father-in-law, and Jethro and Moses walk away. So Moses starts to rehearse to Jethro all that the Lord had done for Israel. The plagues, the Red Sea, Mara, Manna, Rephidim, the feet of the Amalekites. He begins to rehearse all of those things. And notice, I want you to notice what effect it had on Jethro. Number one, if you're taking notes, it brought rejoicing to his heart. 
Look at it again in verse 9 and 10 in your Bibles. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good that God had done and said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. So it brought rejoicing to his heart. And you want to notice, it didn't, he didn't rejoice in the judgment that came on the Egyptians, but he rejoiced in the goodness that God showed to Israel. And that's important, saints, because we don't ever want to find ourselves uh, rejoicing in the downfall of our enemies, which is an easy thing to do when, you know, your people have been mean to you and not kind to you, and something happens, and then you, you know, the tendency, you know, we all have a sin nature, and the, and the sin nature tends to keep on raising up, and that's why the Bible says we've got to mortify our flesh, and you can think this, you know, well, you know what, they deserve that. Well, serves them right. Uh, that's the kind of people they are. Well, they got what, what was coming to them. And these kinds of things. And you can find yourself rejoicing in the downfall of your enemy. And we don't want to do that. We want to rejoice and weep with those who weep, the Bible says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And don't ever, ever, ever look at your enemy and say, you know what, they had it coming. You know what you do? You pray that God would have mercy on them. Pray God's mercy on them. Because you would want God's mercy upon your life if, in fact, you found yourself in a situation that you ought not be in. So we have to be very, very mindful of that. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. So Jethro noticed the effect it had on him. First of all, it brought rejoicing to his heart. Secondly, if you're taking notes, it brought confirmation to his mind confirmation to his mind. You'll find that in verse 11. You can look at it again. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. He is above them, he said. In other words, remember Jethro is a Midianite. He is a Gentile. And it's very possible that up until this point, stay with me, that up until this point, he was polytheistic. What does that mean? That means that he worshiped many gods, poly, many, more than one, polytheistic, many gods, theo, theistic. And it's very possible that he worshiped many gods because he was not a Jew and, 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 and he was a Gentile, a Midianite. The Midianites worshiped many gods. They were all polytheistic. But at this point, when he saw what God had done to the Egyptians, and how God had delivered, or heard, how God had delivered Israel from Egypt, he says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. Now, if there was any doubt, the longer the short of it is, if there was any doubt, all of that doubt is gone. God is God, and he now knows it. So it brought confirmation to his mind, rejoicing to his heart, confirmation to his mind, and then finally, it brought a deeper devotion in his walk. What do you mean, Rodney? Look at verse 12 in your Bibles. Jethro, notice, he took a burnt offering and other sacrifices, and he offered it to God. And so Moses, you notice who's here now in this scene. Moses, who is over 80, Aaron, who is also over 80, together with some other brothers, and they're having a meal together, and they're eating as an act of worship. They're offering a sacrifice to God as an act of worship. So it brought rejoicing to his heart, confirmation to his mind, and the effect of what Moses told Jethro finally 
He had a deeper devotion in his life and in his walk. Boy, would I have loved to have the DVD of verse 12, seeing them all together and worshiping him. Look at verse, uh, verse 13. We're going to read verse 13 through uh, 23. Look at verse 13. I've got to move on. And so it was in verse 13 on the next day that Moses set to judge the people. Now pay particular attention here. Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, saw, saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? And why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you all day long, from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws, the Torah. And so Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you, Moses. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Now here's my advice. Listen now to my voice. I'll give you counsel. And God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws. And you will show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select or delegate from all the people able men such as, fear, such as who fear God, underline that, men of truth, underline that, hating covetousness, underline that and place such over them to be the rulers of, of thousands rulers of hundreds and fifties and tens and let them judge the people at, at all times and then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you Mo but every small matter they themselves shall judge and so it will be easier for you for they will bear the burden with you if you do these things in verse 23 pay attention if you do these things and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all this people will also go to their place in peace. Or in other words, Moses, you'll cover all the bases. Now, this part of our text, the establishing of a ministry team. We talked about Moses' reunion with his family. This part was particularly difficult in that oftentimes when you teach the word and you're a teacher of the Bible, the teachers will say amen to this, you, you get really, really, really convicted. And um, teachers? Oh, there's no teachers in here now, huh? Okay. And uh, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and you learn and you grow. And you compare your life and your ministry and your doings and your goings about to the Bible. And you say, okay, God, I need to get better at this or I'm doing that pretty good and I need to get better at that part. And this particular text was really, really, really difficult for me in light of that because I am in ministry, because I am a senior pastor and because of... Um, 
you know, having people in leadership and, and this whole aspect of delegating and that kind of thing, um, you know, you have to look at those things and you have to evaluate those things. And that's kind of what's going on here. You want to notice in verse 13 in your Bibles, the next day, now go look at it again, if you will. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood and waited to counsel with Moses, notice from morning until evening. And then Jethro said, Moses, what are you doing and why are you doing it alone? And Moses said, because the people only want to counsel with me. And Jethro said, Moses, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and you're going to stress the people out. Now, you want to keep in mind that there were two million people that came out of Egypt. Actually, more like 2.5, but I'm being conservative. Two million people coming out of Egypt and two million people every single day needing to be counseled in some area. I can imagine that there was a line of people to see Moses. And maybe they're in line. They're just getting frustrated. I mean, they've been standing there for, you know, two and a half weeks. And, and, you know, and then, you know, they just get frustrated and they just go, I'm just going to go home. They come back the next day, and you know, they got the little ticker tape number thing. It's like take a number, and dang, I'm 56,422 in line. Everyone needed something from Moses. And Jethro said, Moses, you're going to burn out. Remember, we talked about this. Burnout is never of the Lord. Poured out, yeah. Because being poured out, Paul says, I'm poured out for you. So being poured out is of the Lord because you pour out the people, God pours into you. You pour out to people, God pours into you. But burnout, yeah, I've heard people say, you know, I'm just going to burn. I just want to burn out for Jesus. I just want to burn out for the Lord. I mean, I'm, why? Or you know what? Better to, burn, better to burn out than to rust out. Now, I've heard things like that. Listen, how about this? How about just pace yourself? evenly through your life and ministry so that you don't burn out. You certainly don't want to rust out, but you don't burn out because burnout is not of the Lord. Stressing in the ministry is not of the Lord. Listen at this. This is, there's a book title. Now listen at this. You'll find this interesting. There's a book title, The Executive Stress Manual, and the authors of the book measure stress in what they call life change units. And they say that if you have between 200 and 290 life change units in one year, you're going to have a nervous breakdown. Here's just a few of them. They say the death of a spouse would give you 100 life change units. A divorce, 73 life change units. Marital separation from a mate, 65. Detention in a jail or other institution, 63. Death of a close family member, 63. Major personal injury or illness, 53. Getting married, 50. Like, wow. <laughs> Being fired from work, 47. Vacation, 42. Wow. I mean, listen, oh, man, all this relaxing is stressing me out. <laughs> I mean, look, it's hard. This vacation thing is hard work. I mean, what's up with that? Christmas, 43. 
That's inter- that, now that one I can understand because you can you can clock up 43 of them at Walmart during Christmas. I mean, cr- Christmas at Walmart should be 200. I ain't kidding you. You heard my Walmart story. Had, all right, let me go, let me go there. Troubles with your boss, 23. Major change in working hours or working condition, 20 life change units. Changing residence, moving, 20. Or changing to a new school, 20. You got to keep in mind here, when you talk about changing, imagine Moses for a minute. He's been changing where he's living constantly. We're on campsite number eight, and he's changing a lot. And there's a lot of stress, and he's counseling people, and there's a lot of stress counseling people. Amen. You must be a counselor. True. There's a lot of stress counseling people. And so that's where Moses is. So notice in verse 16 in your Bible, Moses says, when they have difficulty, they come to me. They only want to counsel with Moses. Listen. That happens here at Calvary Chapel. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293 0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.